Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palettes that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome podcast listeners. We're very excited to have Dr. Barbara O'Neill back to the Wine and Dine show. And this week in this time, we are going to be talking to her about her transition to self-employment after years of working at Rutgers, 41 to be exact, and the new project that she's been developing. Her new book, which is coming out very soon, called Flipping a Switch, Your Guide to Happiness and Financial Security in Later Life. Boy, do we dive into several chapters and some very fun, unique names. You have to listen in to hear some of them. We hope you enjoy this episode and that you're enjoying the second half of 2020. We all know the first half has been a bit unusual. So sit on back, grab your favorite beverage and enjoy the show while you remember life is about events supported by your dollars and cents. Well, Barbara, thank you for coming back to the show. For those that um, were wondering in the introduction what I was talking about when we said that we had a returning guest, uh, Dr. Barbara O'Neill was on the show back in November of last year, episode 88. She was actually a, a speaker at the Women's Financial Conference for us last year. And she is back uh, to talk about some new and exciting things that she's been doing since she left uh, Rutgers recently, well, not so recently anymore, and relocated. So you had lots of changes going on in your life uh, early on in 2020, and it's been a pretty adventurous year so far. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And then, of course, COVID-19 on top of everything. It's just like another layer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Before we dig into all of those changes that you've been going through and talking about what it's like to live in Florida during a period of time that uh, is kind of, you know, there's some there's some fear out there. Uh, I'd love to, to start with a super positive note of, you know, wine as we're recording. It's actually the day before the 4th of July. Uh, so uh, I'm looking at red as usual, but what what would you be drinking or what will you be drinking? <laughs> it's interesting you should say that. You've got the red covered. Um, I'm a big fan of white wines like Pinot Grigio, but I think for in honor of the 4th of July, 
Uh, I'm going to go with my Jersey blue blueberry wine from New Jersey blueberries <laughs> and my former state. And I have a bottle open, you know, right, right this week. I'm working on it slowly. <laughs> blueberry wine. Wonderful thing. I've never had blueberry wine, to be honest with you. So that would be a new, a new adventure for me. I've always, uh, I think brambleberry is the closest I've ever gotten to mm -hmm. like a, a different a different uh, fruit type wine. So you can have the blue, I'll go with the red. And then if we need to, we'll sucker our, uh, my husband into gladly drinking a white. In fact, I think we have a Pinot Grigio open in the fridge. You'd be happy to participate. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. And uh, we'll try to link that in the show notes for people that might be interested in that. So um, I just want to dig in because you left Rutgers at the end of 2020 or 2019, uh, relocated to Ocala area, right? Correct. Yep. For some reason, for a while, I had you in Sarasota closer to me uh, when I was down in Florida. Maybe I just wanted you to be closer to me. <laughs> um, and then started a couple of projects, COVID-19 hit. What's What's been going on in, in Ocala with you? Well, actually, I finished my book, so that's kind of exciting. I, it's been a 10-month project, and I started it in September of 2019 when I was still living in New Jersey and finished uh, the reviews on it, the, the final review and sign-off on the manuscript uh, right at the end of May. So basically a nine-month mm. process, and the book is at the print shop as we speak and should be coming out within two or three weeks or so. In, in print and also electronic for people who use Kindles. So it is exciting. And it's, it's a book about transitions that people make in later life when they leave a job and uh, get older. And um, it was very informative to me uh, to do all the research behind it. It's, it's made me much more cognizant of various issues. And I hope that the readers will also learn from it um, as well. Well, you know, it's interesting that you decided to do this because I've joked um, for years about doing a book called What to Expect When You're Aging. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there's lots of books out there about um, what to expect when you're expecting. And, you know, as, as a woman uh, who's getting very close to 50, um, my body started doing some weird things and, uh, my mind started doing some weird things. <laughs> my energy levels started to change, you know, the closer you get. And, and I just, I was serious about not only from a, um, physical perspective, but you look at money, you look at the value of money, you look at things very differently as you start to age just a little bit. And I won't say um, I think we all do as we, as we age and we learn from some of our lessons, but your book digs into that a little bit thinking about, well, what is it like to change jobs? What's it like to change jobs after working at a company for 41 years? <laughs> for me personally? Well, it's interesting because I, I'm working for myself. I'm, I'm a financial education entrepreneur, I guess you could call me. And yeah. so I've been able to leverage a lot of the contacts that I had when I was working for the university and those contacts have become clients. Actually, for me, it doesn't feel much different because I've pretty much structured 
what I call a, a big rock in, in my book, you know, if, if you can come up with a big rock in your life, in later life, and it doesn't have to be work. It could be volunteerism. It could be social activities, caregiving for grandchildren, whatever it is. If you have that big rock that gives your day a lot of structure, uh, it makes the transition so much easier because you're not going to be bored. You're going to be having something that you value and something that's time consuming that will take up a big portion of your day. So for me, it's just been the transition from working for university to working for myself. Uh, I love the flexibility because I, I'm not tied <laughs> to the nine to five anymore. I, I like to go walking early, particularly this time of year in Florida. Mm-hmm. It gets warm very quickly. So you want to get a, a good chunk of your walking for the day in uh, early in the morning and then some more later at night when it cools down as well. So you have that flexibility. And of course, not having a commute is great. Um, <laughs> although I've got to say, uh, I always thought the sweet spot with working at home when I worked for Rutgers was two days of um, in the office and three days of telecommuting. And now that I'm like mm-hmm. five days in the office because my home is my office, Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I miss that a little bit of the interaction, but then I get a lot of it through Zooming and conference calls and podcasts mm-hmm. like this. And so I'm mm-hmm. still connecting with people. Uh, but so for me, it hasn't really felt that different because I, I have I have the same big rock work and then um, other things that I fit in around it. Unfortunately, a lot of the things that I had planned to do that I write about in the book as being so important haven't been able to do. You know, they shut down all the activities at the community that I moved into and social distancing. And um, I was going to all set to volunteer at a thrift shop and then that went away with COVID. So uh, I've actually lived now more weeks under lockdown conditions (laughs) than I lived pre-COVID, you know, before everything shut down here on March 14th and and nothing Mm -hmm. has opened up and things are padlocked. And so Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very different atmosphere than, you know, what I had anticipated, but uh, the work keeps me sane and, and, and meeting neighbors has been great because yeah, everybody tries to stand six feet apart. And that's been <laughs> kind of interesting. Well, going back to the book itself, what what drove and you've written other books as well. So this is not your first one. Right. But what drove you to do this now? Where was the, the where was the nudge that we often need to say, nope, now is the right time to do this? Well, there were actually a couple of nudges. One was I was getting toward the end of my career at Rutgers. So I knew that was going to be a major transition in my life. And then second, I I went down to D.C. for a meeting of the American Savings Education Council. And I heard a speaker who was talking about um, spending money in retirement. And the gist of the presentation was that many people are going to struggle because you know, Social Security is inadequate and they haven't saved very much and uh, they don't have any resources going in to retirement and often have a lot of debt as well. And but then she said something that really kind of hit on me. It, it, it was, you know, there's a small subset of people who have the opposite problem. They've saved too much. And, and, and we need to flip a switch to get people to start spending the money that they've been saving all these years if they've been very prodigious savers. And then I realized that, no, oh, they were talking about me. 
And so I knew that that was going to be a major transition. But then I looked at, around for books that were covering all the other transitions and I couldn't find the book that I needed. So I decided to write it. Mm. And I knew that the book would give me the structure and the, and the motivation to, um, to want to take the time to read. I probably read at least 500 blog posts and probably a hundred different research studies mm. and talk to maybe 25, 30 people at depth in depth. So to do that kind of research, the book gave me the structure to do that. And, and I learned so much about myself and also about uh, topics that are important and changes in mindsets. And then right as, as I was getting toward the end of writing the book, that was when COVID hit. So mm-hmm. that also had an influence on the book because I have a chapter toward the end called Invincible to Vulnerable. And here I was you know, somebody in my mid-60s hearing references to people 65 plus as being the elderly. And I'm like, what? Uh, you know, I'm not elderly. I'm, you know, I'm not 85 years old. And so, but then I, I read <laughs> the CDC stuff and realized that, okay, yeah, my immune system probably isn't as good as it used to be. And, you know, so that became a chapter, you know, I call it invincible to vulnerable because all of a sudden everybody thinks, you know, 65 is a new 45, but you still have a body that's been around for 65 years. <laughs> so, um, so it was a lot of just talking to people, just really having my radar open. Like there was another chapter I wrote called self-regulation and time shifting. And I had been to a meeting of the New Jersey Foundation for Aging last um, June of 2019. And there was a speaker that was talking about the fact that uh, 60 year olds, you know, the decade of your 60s. So, you know, 60 to 69 is actually the safest drivers in the country. Hmm. And I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. And then they said the reason is because they have the ability to self-regulate So I I delved into that more and found out that that was indeed true, because you think about it, if if you're in your 60s, if you don't have a a, a full time job schedule, you can stay home during that snowstorm or that heavy rain and and you can time shift and you don't have to be out on the roads where, you know, the, the rush hour. So, um, so it was just a whole lot of thing. And I probably would never have paid attention to that statistic at that conference if it didn't hit me and say, Oh, that could be a chapter in the book. (laughs) And, (laughs) um, so it, it was just a lot of things informing, um, the content of the book. There's, there's 15 chapters that deal with financial transitions, uh, five chapters that deal with social transitions, and then 15 chapters that deal with lifestyle transition. So total of 35 chapters. Um, there was a foreword that was written by Don Blandon, who's um, the CEO mm-hmm. of the Investor Protection um, Institute. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of work on retirement planning. And then the book was actually dedicated to Dr. Fauci because mm-hmm. he did not flip that switch from working to, um, you know, a life of leisure, let's say. And mm-hmm. So many of us are so grateful to him for all his knowledge and expertise. Yeah, especially especially right now, right? Exactly. Yeah. 
Um, so you were kind enough to forward to me a table of contents looking looking at the book. And um, one of the things that caught my eye, well, first, before even looking at the table of contents, one of the things that caught my eye was the, the subtitle, I guess you want to call it, is the name of the book is Flipping the Switch, Your Guide to Happiness and Financial Security in Later Life. Mm-hmm. And when I started looking down through the table of contents, I loved how you broke the book up into those three sections, the financial uh, transitions, the social transitions, and the lifestyle transitions. Um, Because I think a lot of people, when I talk to people all the time about practicing for retirement, when they, when they tell me that they want to retire, I'm not even talking about like second career. I'm just talking, you know, somebody says, I just want to retire. And I, I usually ask the question, is it that you want to retire? Is that, that you don't enjoy doing the work that you're doing anymore? Mm -hmm. because they're two different things, right? They're, you know, some people just don't want to go into that same office anymore, that same company anymore. So I loved looking at some of the the different financial uh, transitions that you listed there, because I think a lot of people forget to think about um, organization and, and fraud and, um, how to adjust income and expenses and even tax withholding and, and how not looking at it beyond this year can be harmful to you. You know, um, we see a lot of people that have amassed a chunk of money and they retire or change jobs and their income is extremely low and they're in an extremely low tax bracket and they're not taking advantage of that. They're not looking at that and saying, well, right now I'm in a 12% tax bracket But when I turn now 72 or 70, even when they take Social Security, uh, that tax bracket's going to go up. And oh, by the way, we could see a sunset of the current tax brackets. So, you know, it's it's maybe not taking that deep of a dive in, in the book, but it's getting people thinking about those kinds of things. I love that. And then when you dig into some of the, the, at least the titles of the chapter, one that really stood out to me was the solo aging. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I'm going to have to ask about that one. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a that's key thing because the, the estimates are that um, a little bit under a quarter, so that there's 23% of older adults will be solo agers. And there's another term that they use called elder orphans, but there's a lot of pushback Ooh. on that term. So I kind of... I like solo aging. <laughs> yeah, I do too. And um, that basically means that... And, and actually, that's an unofficial statistic because that just accounts for what researchers know about the number of people who don't have children, basically, or mm-hmm. are married as well. Um, but the, the, all of the research that I delved into said that it's, it's higher because not everybody can count on their adult children. Mm-hmm. And in some families, there's an estrangement and people haven't talked to family members in, in decades. They're not going to start talking to them in their 80s if they haven't talked to them you know, for 40 years before that. So um, it, it kind of lays out in that chapter some strategies to if, if you know you're going to be in that situation, uh, mm. 
And, you, you know, if you're a couple, I, I point out in the, in the book, you, if you're a couple and you don't have any children to rely on, you've got a 50 percent chance. And it might even be higher if you're the healthier person of the two people in the mm-hmm. couple. Uh, so just making some plans for that, uh, whether it's something like considering considering a continuing care retirement community where you'll have mm-hmm. seamless um, care from going from an independent unit, maybe to assisted living and then skilled nursing if you need that later in life. It, it also involves making sure you have really good estate planning. It also involves, and maybe you get this as, as an advisor yourself, Amy, is you may have some solo aging clients who kind of want to lean on their professionals to do the mm-hmm. things that kids would have done if they had kids. Um, and what I found from kind of researching that is that every financial advisor is different. Some advisors just think that it's beyond the scope of their practice to be doing some of these errandy kind of things that adult children would have done. Um, Others are so um, consumed with taking care of their own aging parents that they can't be taking care of their aging clients as well. So that becomes a discussion that people have to have with their financial planners or their lawyers or whoever's helping them. But but basically, I just lay out a bunch of things for people to consider uh, so that things don't get done in a crisis. And that there's some planning that's involved there. And those are the key words. Things don't get done in a crisis. Mm -hmm. Because um, that's when, that's generally when, um, I don't want to say mistakes. That's not the right word I'm looking for. But you're not getting your best answer. You're doing, you're making the decision quickly, which means you haven't had time to think through, uh, you mentioned continuing care facilities and, um, you know, there's, there is a generation now I it's, it's, I think really the baby boomer generation who is much more open to that concept than the greatest generation, right? They, they still want to be in their home. Um, that that's where they want to be. The idea of, moving to a continuing care facility isn't of interest to them. They definitely don't want to be in a nursing home if they, nobody really wants to be in a nursing home, but um, it, there's a line, I think, at least that's, it, this is an unofficial observation from me working with people in different age groups. But I do notice that the the baby boomer generation and even the, you know, the X generation that's right on that line between baby boomer and, and X, they're more open to it. And, and a bit of that is on the social side. So it even kind of, you know, going along with your social transitions, I was just having a conversation with a client the other day and I asked her the question about, has she talked to her kids about what she wants when they start to see certain behavior Mm -hmm. and, and has she looked at where she wants to be or what the cost of those places have been? And, and that really opened up a big conversation that now we're doing some additional research in areas that she wants to be located. And, and those are really important conversations. She is super healthy right now. There's no, I mean, there's nothing going on with her, but those are the times that you want to be talking about it right now when health is good. 
And she said, I'm a super social person. I will need activities. Yeah. So that's important. It is very important. Yeah. I mean, I see a lot of people in my community now. I'm in a 55 plus community and there's a lot of people just walking around. They're so bored because there are no activities going on and people are just, you know, afraid with the social distancing to to get too close to others. And and it's hard uh, because Mm -hmm. everything we're experiencing now is going against everything that I talk about in the book as being so important, you know, the socialization, the volunteerism, um, you know, doing things that keep you busy. And that's, that's really hard right now, unfortunately, but um, hopefully people are, are, finding some workarounds. I mean, Zoom has been great. I, I, I connect with my cousins every every two, three weeks. We hop on a Zoom and we do a family thing and uh, just different colleagues of mine that we're doing Zoom. And everything. So the workarounds can really help, you know, to keep people from being so isolated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that technology, uh, you know, I think is so important right now. And, and not only from the aspect of what we're seeing within COVID-19, but I think going forward, it's going to be important and will help people stay where they want to be longer if we have the ability to um, age in place, as they call it. Right. Um, the other thing that I was, I, you spent a fair number of chapters talking about lifestyle transition. And I do think that when I talk to people about pretending to be in retirement, like practicing is what I call it, go practice being in retirement, see what it's actually like. Uh, There's, again, this is not a statistic that I'm aware of. This is an observation, but I find that women seem to transition into retirement or second jobs or volunteering or whatever it is fairly easily. Men have a more difficult time in my experience. They're more attached emotionally to their job. So when, when I, when they're talking about retiring, I'll say, well, what will you do or transitioning at all? What will you do when you leave this particular workspace? What is it that you plan to fill your time with? And when they tell me they don't know, I get kind of nervous. <laughs> so, because, you know, it's just that, are they going to be bored? You know, if they don't, if they don't have hobbies, mm-hmm. if they don't have something that helps them transition, I worry about their emotional health. Yeah. So when I saw lifestyle transitions, I'd love to hear a little more about your research in that. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. And um, so I talk about some of those things in the book. One of the things I did find when doing some research is that uh, there's a concept called identity bridging. And what that means is that if you can carry over some portions of your pre-retirement life to your post, you know, when you leave the job life, uh, that can really help because it's not it's like you're not going cold turkey. Like you work up, you know, work one day, you flip the switch and then you're not working anymore the next day. And so it and it doesn't have to be work that carries over. Like for me, it has been, you know, I'm doing a lot of the same type of work that I was doing before with some people that I knew before. So it hasn't really been that much of a change, but it could also be volunteer work. It could also Mm -hmm. be um, family types of things, social activities, whatever. But if you you can identify things that you have in in your pre, 
retirement life that can carry over. Maybe not in the exact same way, but mm-hmm. um, you maybe have a skill set and you can use it in a different way. That can be really uh, helpful for people because, again, it becomes that big rock that becomes the anchor to their day. And, um, you know, it, it's because the problem is you end up with about twenty five hundred um, free hours. And <laughs> I write about that in the book, too. <laughs> twenty five hundred hours you, you basically get when you leave a full time job because, you know, I figure you got, let's say, 50 weeks. We'll give you two weeks off of vacation. So you can do 50 <laughs> times 50, which is typically when people, you know, if you consider commuting and getting ready for work and everything, you've probably got about a 50 hour total work week. So 50 times 50, that's 2,500 hours. So that's, that's a lot of time that um, people need to uh, figure out what they're, what they're going to do. And, and I have a chapter called a new definition of busy, uh, which is kind of interesting too. I have another one called no more excuses because very often when we're working, work becomes our excuse. You know, like, I'd love to help you, but I got to work that day. Or, oh, I wish I could help you, but, you know, I'm, I'm working and just really busy at work right now. So you lose that definition when you leave a job. So then you've got to come up either with a new excuse or, or you have to practice saying yes. Uh, mm-hmm. But then I put a caution in the and say yes to everything, or then you'll feel overwhelmed and it'll be it's. Mm-hmm. Like you're still working again. So, um, yeah, I mean, those are some of the things that people need to think about. Uh, I have a chapter on answering the what do you do question. Mm-hmm. And and that will happen. And it'll typically come from a stranger because people, you know, will know what you're doing. But uh, it'll be somebody sitting next to you on an airplane or the other day, my husband had to have some knee surgery and they, they wanted to know his occupation. They want to know my occupation. And so I just said, I'm, I'm, I'm self-employed and, and kind of left it like that. Uh, but people need, need to have an answer. And I, and I talk in the book mm-hmm. about you probably don't want to do the former answer or the used to be answer. Like I mm-hmm. used to be uh, such and such. Uh, just answer with what you're doing now, because that's mm-hmm. more interesting and relevant to people. Uh, so it can be I volunteer for the hospice. I'm a financial education entrepreneur. I, that's what I would say. Um, mm-hmm. I take care of my grandchildren. You know, any any mm-hmm. answer is a great answer, but you do need to have mm-hmm. an answer because people will ask you that question either in an informal way or if it's intake at a hospital kind of way, more formal, and, and you should have an answer for it. One of the chapters you have is Green Bananas, Rule <laughs> Calculation, and Laughs. I've got to know. <laughs> What's okay. that one? Okay. Well, that starts with a story. Um, when I was in my mid-40s and my mom was in her mid-70s, and she was living in Florida, and of course, I was up in Jersey at the time, when I would visit her, all of a sudden, she started using this phrase. And she said she would say, people our age don't buy green bananas. And so the implication was kind of like you were going to die the next day. Like you would, you would, you wouldn't be able to live long enough for the bananas to turn yellow. And I used to kind of shake my head and say, mom, what are you talking about? you got plenty of time, you know, but you know, what happens is I get it now that, um, your time orientation shifts. And even though green bananas is kind of an extreme example of a change in time orientation, 
you do start making calculations. You start calculating um, if you're going to get a dog. What happens if the dog lives longer than I do? Uh, and so I, in that chapter, I actually have life expectancies for dogs and cats. And it depends a little mm-hmm. bit on the size of the dog because big dogs tend to live shorter lives than little dogs. So it's kind of making those calculations mentally. Should I get the extended warranty on such and such? Will, I, will this be my last? And then I get into last. Like, will this be my last car? Will this be my last refrigerator? Um And it's just a change in time orientation. And what I kind of encourage people to do, again, if they've been prodigious savers, and this is going to be your last car, make it a great car. (laughs) Splurge. Because, um, you know, you want to have something that you'll enjoy. And if it is indeed your last of whatever, make um, make it a good purchase. So that's what that chapter is all about, is just the shift in time orientation. That, And it, it, I can't say, you know, how it happens. It, it just happens. Sometimes I guess it's, it's witnessing maybe the death of a friend or a parent mm-hmm. or something. Those mm-hmm. kinds of things uh, we tend to incorporate ourselves uh, and think, oh, okay, if it happened to them, it might happen to me too. Mm-hmm. Um, also, people tend to do maybe Again, if they've been good savers, if they're not living, you know, Social Security check to Social Security check, as opposed to paycheck to paycheck, uh, and they have some financial flexibility, um, this is where you might treat yourself. So I splurged this week. I got the Roku. I got the Disney Plus. I'm watching <laughs> Hamilton tonight. I mean, I just wanted to do it. Um, and and you, you stop not pinching pennies as much as you might have, you know, when you were younger, because you, you've met your savings goal. And now it's the time to enjoy um, mm-hmm. the money that you've been able to accumulate over your working years. So that's what that chapter is all about. It's just the difference in time orientation as you make purchasing decisions um, at a, in later life. That's I, I I agree that sometimes when people uh, are always in that savers mentality, uh, even when they are in the decumulation or should be in the decumulation to a certain extent uh, phase of their life, they're trying to convince them that they can't take it with you. And I believe one of your chapters was something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is important to enjoy. And, you know, the two splurges that you mentioned, I chuckled because I'm like, okay, Roku and Disney Plus are splurges. I mean, yes. In the scheme of things, if you were living budget to or uh, paycheck to paycheck, social security, social, yes, they would be splurges. But if those are your splurges. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I've had other sports too, but that, that was just in the last week. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, maybe you need to read one of your chapters. <laughs> no, no, I've had some others. Actually, the funniest story was when I got down here in Florida, I had donated my car up in New Jersey. So when I came down to Florida, I need to get a new car. And we actually went out on, on Christmas Day and went shopping for a car. You know, I mean, the, the dealers weren't open, but we wanted to walk around right. the lots to check out the cars and not have anybody hassle you. So Christmas Day was perfect. And um, I fell in love with this 
Corvette, you know, and I, I was actually willing to spend the money to, to get it. It was cute. It was red. But the problem was it, it just didn't fit me. It, it was like I'm kind of a petite person and the seat wouldn't go up and, and I couldn't I couldn't even look over the dashboard mm-hmm. and I just didn't feel safe in it. So even though I loved it and I would have bought it because <laughs> it might be my last car, it was like, okay, now I'm not going to get this car because I needed a booster seat. <laughs> and I couldn't figure <laughs> out actually who would be a good target for that beautiful Corvette because if a petite woman like me couldn't fit into it and then you get a big Early guy who couldn't fit into it because it's just you know too tight. I mean, who who is the target market there? <laughs> but but I love the Corvette. I mean, it, you know, it was one of those things. I, I was willing to spend the money and get it, but it didn't work out. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing because yeah, in my first chapter is if you don't spend your money, somebody else will. And sometimes mm-hmm. just hearing those words over and over again, you think, okay, who's the, who's the somebody else? Well, it's either going to be um, a charity if you make charitable contributions through a will. But if you don't have a will, as many people don't, um, there's no way to give to charity because the state formulas are only family members, you know, depending on your state. It, it's usually, you know, up, down and out so or down, up and out. So you have children, grandchildren, parents, grandparents, and then out would be like siblings, cousins, whatever. Um, so that's just going to get your money. And then you have to think about, okay, will they honor my money? You know, all the hard work that went into accumulating your money, will they go honor it as much as, um, as you would? And, and then the same thing for thinking about charities is, okay, you know, would this charity do things that I would love them to do? Uh, but again, you've got to get some estate planning in there. You've got to get a will and, um, I just, in myself, I just uh, followed some of the example in uh, my uh, chapter on philanthropy, and I just set up a donor advised fund just mm-hmm. in the last mm-hmm. two weeks. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah that's a yeah. wonderful, wonderful, easy way to, I say easy because the accounts are so relatively easy to set up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vanguard, Fidelity, uh, TD Ameritrade, any of the custodians that are out there have donor advised accounts that you can set up just like it's basically an individual account. And it, it makes it so nice because um, if you have stock that has a low cost basis, you know, has a big capital gain on it, you can donate that stock without selling it and creating a taxable event for you. If you're, if you are at the age of either 70 and a half or 72, depending on when you fell into that, you, you don't have to use a donor advised fund, but you can donate your RMDs, you know, towards charitables. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I think it's great. Those donor advised funds are one of my favorite tools for um, folks that are looking to make sure that a portion of their estate gets allocated. And and they're usually pretty specific about, you know, who they want the money to go to as well. I mean, that usually you can, uh, almost any charitable organization that would would qualify for a donation in general is going to qualify under a donor advised. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of donor advised funds and glad to hear that you recommended them because a lot of times people have, have not heard of those. They have, if they're, if they're not working with a financial planner, these aren't, those aren't things that are out there a lot, right? It's not, 
it's not written about enough, which makes me think maybe I should do some blogs about that. (laughs) Thanks for the idea. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was a very simple process. And what I, what I came to find out by checking with several custodians is that they do the administration. Cause I kept saying to them, well, Mm -hmm. don't I just get a checkbook and can't I just write the checks? Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. You, you kind of go into the, you set up your account and you go in and if you want to give a, donation to, you know, ABC charity or whatever, you would type in, you know, the name of the charity and their address, and then they send the check. And I asked, I asked mm-hmm. several of the custodians, I said, why do you do it? What, what? And a couple things which really make sense is, is A, it's a check to make sure that the charity is bona fide qualified because mm-hmm. people right. might think they are and they're not. So yeah. you know, they obviously check out the charities and then also it's, it's a good check against possible fraud as well, you know, where people can be convinced to do something. And, and again, it's, it's, a, it's another double yeah. check. So uh, it did make sense to me when, when they explained it. And, um, you know, I, I made my first charitable, um, they call them charitable grants. So I did my first mm-hmm. grant the other day and just typed in the name of the organization. And, uh, and then you get a confirmation when, the organization and when the check, when they've sent the money to the organization. So um, yeah, it's been pretty seamless. The only thing I read about recently, I guess with some of the donor advised funds is they've had, um, they've had issues with some of the charities uh, not being at their offices to get the checks. Oh yeah. Yeah, So, so I double checked on that just to make sure that that wouldn't be an issue. And uh, it wasn't. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good strategy. And, of course, the amount that you put into the donor advice fund, you get to write off on your income tax. So for me, I, I made my first um, deposit, if you will, $30,000 because I had to get over the hump of the standard deduction for a married couple with two people over 65, which I believe is like 28000 and change. So it wouldn't have made any sense to go less than that. Because, I mean, I'll have a little property tax as well now, too, that I can deduct Mm -hmm. this year as well. But, um, yeah, and then I might not do that again for another few years. I'm thinking the next time I'll probably do it is the year that I turn 72 because I'm thinking that'll be a crazy tax year. And, (laughs) uh, you know, do it do it in a year where you think you're going to have a bump in your income because then it Mm -hmm. would make more sense tax wise. Um, So that's a good strategy. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I know that we're starting to run out of time. I apologize, but I'm so interested in 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 what your final thoughts are and how people can find this book and um, when it's you know when the official official launch date is and all of those sort of things. Okay. Well, you can pre-order it now. It's actually had a pre-order page up for about five months now. So you just it's just Google flipping a switch Amazon. It should come right up. And you can pre-order it. It, like I said, it should be out probably early July. You know, late July at the latest is my guess. And as, you know, as soon as it comes out, the pre-orders will be shipped immediately, and and you'll have the book in your hands. I actually have that link, and I will put that in the show notes. Um, the pre-order, if you want the paper book, is nineteen ninety-five, and on the Kindle version is eighteen ninety-five. Uh, I think this is one of those books that um, you kind of want to have in your hand. I call it the <laughs> I, I call it a reference highlighted book because. Exactly. 
um, Kindles are great and I love them for uh, pleasure reading. But when it comes to things that you're going to look back on or want to be able to look back on, flipping through the book sometimes is a whole heck of a lot easier uh, than, you know, trying to find it on on the Kindle. And I want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your your new schedule <laughs> that you have <laughs> and for, for letting us talk about this book that's coming out, because I, I do think that there, um, this is not just for people that are later in life. This is for people that have, um, their own thoughts about what their later in life looks like. And it's for their parents too. This is, you know, it, one thing I've learned from personal experience is that, uh, there, there becomes a time when role reversal, I call it, starts to hit. As a child, you start to become the parent at some point in time. Insecurities really start to hit at some age. And it's, at least in my experience, it's been a gradual change, but uh, it's important for those of us that are in that role to know some things that we're going to need to know in the future anyways, but also need to know to help guide our our parents or sometimes aunts and uncles or whoever it might be in our family, brothers and sisters sometimes to give them some guidance. So I think this is a great, great book. And I know that, um, I know you were kind enough to share that introduction with me. And I, I loved, I loved that second paragraph that you wrote that said at the, at perhaps no other time in life do more switches get flipped than when people leave a long time career after working for decades. And I, I love the intro from that perspective. And I really think, um, you know, this has got so many great nuggets in it. So if you're interested, like I said, I'm going to share the link to the pre-order in the, um, in the show notes for folks to be able to, to pre-order the book if they want. And then of course, if they're listening to it later, just order the book, but Barbara, thank you so much. And thank you for, for not, um, I hope you don't mind that I share this and I can edit it out if you do, but I actually made the mistake of saying to, to Barbara, um, congratulations on your retirement. And she gently said, I'm not retired. I'm just in a different role. I'm in a different job now. I'm an entrepreneur now, and this is what I'm doing. And I thought, oh, shame on me for... So making that assumption. So thank you for the awakening that you gave me not to, to just a little gentle nudge, not to make assumptions that just because somebody was at a company for 41 years, that doesn't mean that they retired. It just means that they may have switched a, a different or flipped a different switch. So thank you for being on the show and for being so kind to, to remind me of that little lesson. I do appreciate it. You're quite welcome, Amy. Thanks for having me. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.